Amen. That is awesome. One of my favorite moments in the life of the church is when someone professes their faith in Jesus Christ through baptism. Today, uh, we're going to finish a series that I entitled Foundations. We took a week off uh, for Easter, uh, but, but we'll finish today. This series has been about the doctrine of justification. Uh, and I believe the doctrine of justification is, is the most important topic of any sermon anywhere. It's the most important doctrine uh, of any church anywhere. And I believe it's the most important subject for any individual anywhere uh, to, to understand. It's foundational for your life. And it's essential for you to understand for your soul. Everything you do will not matter if you get this wrong. And every relationship that you have will ultimately be meaningless if you don't get this right. So it's foundational. It's, it's key. Now, in case you weren't here, once again, when I'm using the phrase, the doctrine of justification, all I'm talking about is this is how a person is made right with God. When we talk about being justified, we're talking about being justified before God, right in His sight. Now, to be honest, most people get this wrong. Most of your neighbors, most of your friends, probably most of your family get this wrong. If you were to ask them, how is a person right with God, they'll verbalize, if you behave well, God will be happy with you. If you are religious, God will be happy with you. If you do good things for poor people or people who are in need, then, then you will be right with God. You know, if you, if you give to a charity, you'll be right with God. People from the foundation of the world have thought that the way that a person is right with God is by the way they behave or by the acts they do. But the message of Christianity couldn't be more different than this. The message of Christianity is that people are made right with God through belief. People are made right with God through grace alone, uh, through faith alone, and through Christ alone. That's how people are made right with God. And this was the central issue of the Reformation. About 500 years ago, uh, when, when the church had kind of strayed from this gospel message that this is how people are made right with God, the, 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 the reformers said, wait a minute, this is not what the Bible teaches. And so they came back to this central message of, of its grace and faith and Christ. And the central passage that guided their thoughts through the Reformation was Romans chapter 3, and Romans chapter 4. Now the book of Romans was simply written for Paul to explain uh, his faith to the church at Rome. And in particular, he was explaining his view about how a person was justified before God. And he said it's not the law, it's not good works, it's not being a good person. He said it was faith. Now the last time we were here, we uh, in, in this passage, we looked at how how Paul used Abraham to prove his point. He said Abraham was credited righteousness because of his faith, not because of his works. Well, today, he says, this is the way it worked for King David as well. In chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the man 
who God credits righteousness apart from works. He says David talks about how a man's truly happy and truly blessed if his righteousness is independent of his works because David, better than most men, knew no matter how good you are, you're not good enough and you fall short. Verse 7, he says, How joyful are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. David, even though he's a man after God's own heart, knew the weight of sin. And he knew that no matter how hard a person tried, he knew that all people have feet of clay. And he knew that breaking the law was a part of our makeup. But he said there's joy when you're forgiven. Isn't that the truth? That's why when we sing, all my hope is in Jesus, I can feel in the congregation people agree with that statement because we know that there's joy in forgiveness. We, 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 we feel such relief when our sins are covered. That word covered can mean one of two things. It can mean to be hidden, uh, and that is absolutely applicable, talking about our sins. Our sins are hidden uh, from the wrath of God, but they're also, uh, also when it says covered, it can mean paid for. And when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is paid for, it is finished. Uh, but before we move on in the text, I just want to say, you guys are so kind to me. You are, uh, I, I, so often I get kind words and, and people just encouraging me through letters and notes. And last week, somebody came up to me and very discreetly uh, shook my hand and said, hey, take your, take your family out to dinner. And I opened my hand up and, and, and there was a $100 bill in my hand which was incredibly nice, and my family loved McDonald's last week. It was awesome. <laughs> and I played golf three times. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, we're going to go out to eat today. But as I, thought about, as I thought about that generosity, it reminded me of another time that someone was generous to us at church. At, at Christmas, my first Christmas here, somebody gave me a, 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 a card to go and take your family out. And so after church one Sunday, my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter had a college roommate with her. My youngest daughter had uh, one of her friends go, and we went to Outback. And we were all there. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, my family growing up, we're pretty tight with our money, and we don't like to waste things, and we want to live debt-free. And so when we would go out, it's kind of water and, and, and you know, the, the kids' meal type of deal. But we went to Outback, and I told them, I said, guys, get what you want. Now, not the most expensive steak, but if you want steak, you can get that. You want an appetizer, we'll get that. Because somebody had really blessed our family. And I was telling them, y'all get that, let's do that. And so they did. We got, uh, uh, I think, a, a blooming onion. And then we, we got our, our full uh, course uh, of our, our, our full meal. And then I said, if y'all want dessert, get dessert. And so they got dessert, and I knew what I had, and I thought, well, you know, it's probably going to be about $20 more than that, but i got six people here, and if it only costs me $20 plus a, a nice tip, that's awesome. That'll be great. So uh, time came, and I gave the person uh, the card, and I gave them uh, what I thought was a generous tip and enough to cover the other, and we were getting ready to go. About that time, the manager came out, and he said, Sir, we don't take Texas Roadhouse gift cards at Outback. <laughs> I was in trouble. 
And that's where we are with our sin. We have a debt that we can't hide, something we aren't prepared or capable of paying for, but through faith in Christ, our sins are covered, our sins are forgiven. And the Bible says in that, that this blessing, uh, it, it, he, Paul asked the question, is this blessing only for the circumcised? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? Does this just come to Abraham and David? Or does this come to everyone? Well, this blessing can come to every person. Not only for the Jews. Justification by faith is how everyone must be made right before God. Now, in the next few verses, he takes us back to Abraham. And he says that God did not love Abraham because he was Jewish. In fact, when Abraham was around, there was no such thing as a Jew. And he didn't keep Abraham in his family because Abraham kept the law, because when Abraham was, the law was not. The Bible says that he justified Abraham by faith. For we say faith was credited to Abraham for his righteousness. Because he believed God, God accepted him. Because he trusted God, God credited his account with righteousness, and he made him right. Now verse 10 is interesting to me. In verse 10, he says, in what way was it credited? While he was circumcised, or when he was uncircumcised? Abraham was asked to circumcise himself uh, and all the males of his household to show his faith in God. And this was a significant act. This hadn't been done before in human history, and you can imagine the questions that Abraham and his household had whenever he brings this up. But he believed God, and because he believed God, he was made right. But what Paul is pointing out here, it was not his action that made him right. It was his faith that made him right. He wasn't made right because he did something religious. He was doing something religious because he was made right. Everybody following Paul's argument here in this passage? He goes on in the rest of this verse to make it clear. He says, no, it wasn't while he was circumcised. It was while he was uncircumcised. He was made righteous before he was made religious. And we need to make sure we get this. We're not right with God because we're sitting in a church. We're not right with God because we took communion two weeks ago. We're not right with God when we get in the baptistry. We are right with God when we believe and trust in the work that He performed through His Son, Jesus Christ. At that moment, in that moment alone, are we made right with God. Abraham received the sign of the covenant not to make him right with God, but after he had been made right with God. Now there's two key words in verse 11 that I want us to look at. Verse 11 says, And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The two key words are sign and seal. This religious action of circumcision was a sign that pointed beyond the action to what it represented. He he was circumcised in the flesh, but it was really about his heart. Uh, Paul will go on to say that a Jew is not the one who is one outwardly, but one who is is a Jew in the heart. 
The circumcision was an outward act. It was a sign of something greater that had happened in his heart. But he says it's also a seal. A seal to remind him that God really had moved in him. That God really had called him and appointed him. Uh, We continue on. He says this was to make him the father of all who believe, but are not circumcised, so that the righteousness may be credited to them also. Paul's saying this is the way that God works in every man. And the passage is clear that religious expression doesn't save, but here's where I want to go today. It's also clear that God established the religious expression. Right? Faith alone saved him, but God called him to, 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 to this sign or this seal to show that he believed. In the Old Testament, the sign and seal was circumcision. In the New Testament, Jesus gave two signs. He instructed the church to observe communion, and he uh, instructed the church to practice baptism. And any church that does not do these two things are veering off the path. For 2,000 years, from Abraham uh, to, to Paul's day, Jews had faithfully practiced circumcision for 2,000 years from Jesus' day until today. The church is to continue practicing the signs that he has given for the new covenant. These two things, baptism and communion, though are not religious actions to save, they are religious actions to signify. Signify that we have faith in Christ and that we have received this faith by His gracious gift to us, and it comes only through belief. Now, what's interesting to me is circumcision and baptism are in, uh, excuse me, communion and baptism. Let me get that right. What's interesting to me is communion and baptism are very different. You ever thought about how different these two things Jesus has asked us to do are? Communion is done corporately. The Bible says that they broke bread together. We're told to wait for one another and take it together. Jesus even said on the night that he died, drink from it, all of you, in remembrance of me. Communion's to be done together. It's not something you just go, you know, into your bathroom and get a cup out and a piece of bread. That's not how communion is to be done. It is to be done together, corporately. But baptism's different. It's done individually. Uh... Baptism is, you go into the water alone. We celebrate as a congregation, but baptism is a very personal time where you are stating as an individual, I believe. Communion's to be done often. Uh, communion is done uh, in, in a variety of, of uh, uh, schedules depending on the denomination. Some people do it weekly, some people do it monthly, some people do it quarterly. Uh, some people do it randomly, but, but communion is to be done repetitively. Baptism, though, is a one-time event. The Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Communion's a reminder of established knowledge. We remember what we already know. We trusted Christ and we think about what Christ has done for us. Baptism signifies that we have a new understanding. That, that, that the light has come on and that we've received from the Lord. Now, Protestants have generally agreed 
on the meaning of the practice of communion. Uh, by and large, the biggest disagreement really over uh, communion is how often should you take it. But both sides in the argument of this would say, this is not something worth losing fellowship over. You know, we're, we're, we're not going to fight, fight over this. Now, in western Kentucky, some Baptists drink wine and some don't, and they'll fight over that. But other than that, the disagreements have been pretty small over communion. Okay? Baptism, though, has been a, a source of sharp division. There's been lots of division uh, uh, and disagreement among believers over who uh, can be baptized uh, what the method of baptism should be. When should you be baptized? Why should you be baptized? Uh, and and I, I know where I'm getting ready to head can push people's buttons. And I promise you, your pastor's intent, and those of you who've been here as long as I've been here, you know it's not my t- intent. Your pastor's intent is not to push buttons. It's not to be argumentative. It's not to uh, try to, to prove something. All I want to do is share with you what we believe, and what I understand about baptism. So, so let's take some of these questions. When should a person be baptized? If, if we believe in by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, and, and, and we believe that, that it is faith alone that saves us, when should a person be baptized? Well, other denominations baptize infants and some set a time for children. But we believe that faith of the person being baptized is the important moment. Not faith of parents, but if you have faith, we believe you are ready for baptism. We do believe that a person has to have basic understanding of concepts. You can't be saved unless you know you're a sinner. You can't be saved unless you understand that Jesus died for your sins and as a substitute for you. You can't be saved unless you repent of your sins. Jesus said, repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, but but we, we don't have a certain age. What we believe about baptism is that baptism should be reserved simply for believers. If you believe, you should be baptized. We also believe that baptism should be administered soon after people come to faith. Why do we believe that? Because in the New Testament, anytime somebody believed, they got dunked. You know, uh, so we, those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, 3,000 people were added to them. The reason they did this is Jesus had commissioned them to go and make disciples of all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, which is an interesting story to me, there's a man from Ethiopia who gets saved. And he hears the message of Jesus, and apparently Philip tells him that, that believers in Jesus should be baptized. And they're driving in the chariot here. He's reading the book of Isaiah. And as they go, the Ethiopian man says, look, there's water. What keeps me from being baptized? And so that day, he was baptized. So we believe that when should a person be baptized? Soon after they believe. Well, how should a person be baptized? In the New Testament... The described mode of baptism is, is immersion. Uh, that is why no matter where we are, we find water deep enough to put people all the way under. Uh, that's what we believe the New Testament teaches. And we base this on two things. Uh, number one, we base it on the use of the word uh, for baptism, and that is the word baptizo. This was not a religious word in the New Testament. It was a word that simply meant to dunk. 
Uh, they used it for pickles. When you make pickles, you dunk cucumbers. They used, used it for bathing. You need to get yourself all the way under because, you know, you stink. Uh, they used it for washing clothes. When you wash clothes, you submerge those clothes. They used it for uh, 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 many things, but it was not used for religious ceremony until John the Baptist came. And John the Baptist was out in the river and he was dunking people because of uh, their, their repentant heart. And they started giving him a derogatory nickname and they called him John the Dunker. Because that's what he was doing. He was baptizoing people uh, in, the, in the water. And, and my understanding, and I know those of you who are from different denominations might see this differently, but my understanding is that all clear examples of baptism, where the mode seems to be described, is described by immersion or submerging someone under the water. John 3. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John was also baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. And people were coming and being baptized. Notice that phrase. There was plenty of water there. Drinking water's everywhere. If there's not, there's not people. But they only baptized here because there was plenty of water there. My question would be why? Uh, it seems to be uh, because of the, the mode of baptism. Jesus was baptized. I believe it gives a picture of immersion here. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you and yet you come to me. And Jesus answered and said, allow it for now because in this, this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized. Verse 16 says, after Jesus was baptized, he immediately went up. Or he immediately went up from the water. He went up immediately from the water. Uh, and the heavens opened up and said, this is my son. Uh, and, and the spirit fell on him as a dove. The Ethiopian that we were talking about a minute ago in Acts 8:34, The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this is about? Himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from uh, that scripture. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's water! What keeps me from being baptized? I always ask this question, but do you not think that a man who's making a trip from Ethiopia to Jerusalem would have a canteen? Why was he surprised to see the water? Because I think the New Testament understanding was that baptism was by immersion. Because of these examples, we as Baptists administer baptism in such a way. I've been a part of baptisms at rivers. I've watched baptisms in swimming pools. I've baptized in baptistries like ours, and I've baptized in cattle troughs. I do this because I believe the Bible teaches. Now, I want to answer this question because this trips a lot of people up. Do you believe that a person is lost if they're not dunked? Well, absolutely not, because I don't believe they're saved because they are dunked. I believe you're saved because of your faith in Christ. I, I, I do believe you're not baptized biblically. Uh, and even that, I would say, I have to be humble. Because I would say mode seems to be less important than meaning to me. But mode is still something that I want to be biblical about. So we encourage people here at our church 
to be baptized and to be a member of our church. Everyone here at some point in their walk, whether in our church or another church, have followed the Lord and were baptized after they were saved. Now, uh, here's the question of the series, though. Why is it important? Why is a bad why is baptism a big deal? Uh, and, and I think some denominations who baptize the way we do get this way wrong. Because they say that, that baptism is necessary for salvation. Some believe that it's necessary to wash away original sin, and that's why they baptize babies. Others say it's necessary to wash away any sin. And I will stand from the pulpit until the day that I die and proclaim what can wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's who we are. That's what we are. That's what we celebrate. But, but the reason that, that, that we baptize is not so that we gain entrance to heaven. We baptize the way we do to, to symbolize what has happened to us. We don't believe that baptism has saving power jesus was baptized and i'm pretty sure he was going to heaven with or without it right we we why then do we baptize people we baptize people because we want to follow jesus's example jesus was baptized and we're trying to follow in his footsteps we baptize the way we do because it is a picture of the gospel every time a baptism is held we see this beautiful portrayal of Jesus' passion for us. As a person is laid back in the water, we're reminded that Christ was put in a tomb after He died on a cross for us. And when they come out of the water, we proclaim every time someone is baptized, not just on Easter Sunday, that Jesus is alive forevermore. Romans 6 verse 4, when Paul is contemplating what has happened with us, he said, it's like we have... Uh, died to our old self just as Christ died and we have been raised from the dead. Therefore, we were buried with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new life. We're new people in Christ and that's why we baptize because it symbolizes real life changed. We proclaim when we're baptized, I'm no longer lost. <laughs> I'm no longer guilty of my sin. We know we're sinners. We don't need to be convinced of that, but praise God through repentance and faith, we can be born again. Like we're made new, like we have new life in Christ. When I baptize people, I, I share that verse that we just said, when I lay someone back, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. I, I think baptism also provides a crucial next step for a believer. I, I quote this often. Uh, I don't know who William James is, but it's his quote, so I'll give him credit. William James said, An impression without an expression leads to depression. If you've been impressed in your heart, but you don't have an opportunity to express it, it's incredibly frustrating. You know, when we have to suppress emotions... You know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's hard. It's like trying to restrain a sneeze. You know, it hurts inside. Hey, have you ever tried to hold back laughter when something funny was happening during the sermon or during a prayer? You know, and you know you shouldn't. 
but it's hard. Or have you tried not to cheer for your team when you're surrounded by fans from the opposing team? You know, you know you better not, but it's hard. You know, uh, have you ever tried not to cry at a sad movie? An impression needs an expression. And I think this is why when Jesus healed people, he often gave them something to do. He said to the blind man, go uh, uh, wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. He said to the ten lepers, go show yourself to the priest. He said to the man with the withered hand, stretch forth your hand. Jesus could have healed instantly without any further action. But he asked for a response of faith for their benefit. He gave them the opportunity to do something, to meet the need for expression. Listen to the very first question asked after the very first sermon. Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2 and he powerfully delivers the message of salvation. And when he finishes, they were under deep conviction. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do to be saved? What must we do to, to respond? And he says, repent, believe, trust, and be baptized. Because... An impression needs an expression. When, when you understand that Jesus is the Son of God and He died on the cross for your sins, when He impresses you with His truth, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do when you grasp the reality that because of His love, all your sins are forgiven? What are you supposed to do when you recognize that you have the promise of, of eternal life and you've got meaning for everyday life? What are you supposed to do when you know you're loved and accepted by God? God has provided an outward expression. Be baptized. Show the world that you trust me and you believe. And this moment is a powerful moment because it provides a, a spiritual milestone in every believer's life. You know, a person who's baptized, whether young or old, has that moment to look back on and say, at that moment I obeyed and I trusted God. When you've been baptized, you can say, God asked me to do something and I did it. And baptism is special in that. I was talking to somebody today and they were saying, I was just a kid when I was baptized, but I remember. And I was thinking about my own baptism. I was only 13 years old. I just turned 13. Uh, after I was saved, I can still see my mom at the top of the steps and the pastor standing beside me in the little church in Henderson County where I was baptized. I remember that day. And that wasn't the day that I was saved, but it was the day that I said to the world, I am a believer and I will follow Christ. And that's been a marker that I've stuck in the ground and said that I know that I have followed him and I believe him. Baptism also identifies a person with a community of faith. In Ephesians chapter 4, we have an early statement that, that churches shared. They said in verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. And there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Immediately following, Paul begins to talk about the makeup of the church. And he says in Ephesians 4, there are different gifts and different roles, but we are one in a community of faith. So when, when a person is baptized, we believe they become a part of that community. We believe they become a part of our family. You know, so many people diminish church participation and, and even church membership. Ah, it's not necessary for the Christian faith. And I get it. I can't say that it's necessary, but I can say that it's good. 
It's good to have brothers and sisters. It's good to be held accountable. It's good to say, I belong. For the first church, baptism was a symbol that you were a part of the group. And when Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him and saved him in an instant. He went from chasing Christians to proclaiming Christ. But what did he do immediately after he was saved? He went back and was baptized to show the world, I am a believer. In Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer received Christ and he was baptized. Throughout the book of Acts, when people are saved, they're baptized and the Lord adds to their number daily those who are being saved. There's two reasons baptism is connected to a church membership. Number one, it's you saying... We affirm the group, the ministry, and the message. I believe like you. And you're also declaring that you'll be a faithful part. With baptism, a person is welcoming accountability. You know, whenever I, whenever I preach uh, about baptism, invariably I'll have kids come to me and want to talk about baptism. And I think I've told you all this, but I'd like to tell you again. I always take, last week, last Sunday, we had two children come up during the welcome center. Cullen came up, and he said, I received Christ last year at Bible school. I want to be baptized. I took my wedding ring off, and I said, Cullen, do you know what this is? He said, it's a ring. I told him it's a wedding ring. I told him that I'm not married because I have a ring. Some people get married and don't wear rings. I'm married because we said our vows before God and signed the papers at the courthouse. That's why I'm married. But I put this ring on because I want everyone to know. I get baptized because I'm not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want everyone to know I am His and I will follow Him. Uh, you know, when people say, I'm a believer, but I'm just not going to get baptized, and I hope everybody hears this, because this is a really important statement. When somebody says, I'm a believer, and I'm just not going to get baptized, it's like saying, I'm going to get married, but I'm not going to tell anybody. You know, I, 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 I don't think that they realize the important of, importance of the moment. You know, uh, whenever we are, whenever we're baptized... We're humbling ourselves, And to be honest, that's maybe the main reason Jesus gave baptism is because it requires humility. Every follower of Jesus may, must lay down his pride and admit his need. Baptism by immersion is a very humbling experience. It's a humbling experience to have somebody lay you back in the water. It is. And, and that's one of the things I love about baptism because we come into church on Sunday and if our life has fallen apart and we've messed up over and over, we come in and someone asks us how we're doing and we always lie. I'm fine. We got our hair fixed, or some of you do. You know, we got our good clothes on and we're, it, it's so nice. But when you get into the baptistry, it doesn't matter how fixed up you are, everybody comes out looking like a wet dog. You know? And I think that's beautiful because it's humbling. And it says it doesn't matter what I look like in front of these folks. It matters what I look like before God. And I stand before God forgiven because I put my faith and my trust in Him. And because I put my faith and trust in Him, I will. I will get into these waters. And that act of humility is beautiful because the one who humbles himself before the Lord 
is exalted by the Lord. You know, my story is I was saved at a young age and I was baptized. My parents' story is very different. My dad was saved one night in revival when I was 18 years old. He didn't go to church very much. Uh, I'd become a preacher and I guess he thought he ought to show up some. And I didn't even know they were there that night. And my best friend, I was kneeling down at, at invitation time praying. I, I, God just compelled on me. I, there in the pew, I wasn't making a scene or anything. I just knelt down and I was praying. And my best friend smacking me on the head because my dad had walked down to the altar and given his life to Christ. I didn't even know he was there that night. And he was baptized a couple weeks later as a 48-year-old man. A few years ago, my mom... Uh, I'm not going to tell her age. <laughs> but a few years ago, my mom had recognized that she got baptized when she was 12 years old. My grandfather went to church twice in his life. He walked the aisle the first Sunday, got baptized the second Sunday, and I think basically told the preacher, are you happy? You know, and that was it. He took his 11 kids with him, and most of them got dunked too. My mom was one of those 11 kids. Uh... My mom got saved the same day my dad got saved. I didn't know that. She never told anybody that. She had joined the church, taught Sunday school, and she thought it was bothering her all her life because she had put her baptism on as a religious action to make God happy. But she wanted her baptism to show everyone that I've put my faith and trust in Christ faith and trust in Christ alone. And so about four years ago, five years ago now, she was baptized in a cattle trough at Vacation Bible School in Owensboro so the kids could celebrate with her uh, her baptism. You know, I was reminded of the story of the Ethiopian who traveled to Jerusalem, and on his way back he said, Here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? I wonder, teenager, adult, child, what really keeps you from being baptized? Is it lack of faith in Christ? Or is it personal pride? I beg you, be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow His commands. Give your heart and life to Him. And if you have, be baptized and show the world you believe. Let's pray.